Worlds collide in this crossover with We Hate Movies as we review the second part of the Clint Goes Ape duology, Any Which Way You Can. Welcome to the Flop House. I'm Dan McCoy. Welcome to the Flop House. I'm Stuart. Hi. <laughs> welcome. To- <laughs> threw me off, Stuart, that you didn't say your last name. Yeah, and no, welcome to the Flop House. I'm I Elliot like to keep Kalen. You guessing? Yeah. <laughs> As to how much you're going to forget of your own name? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this time it was one half. <laughs> um, so this is a bit of a special episode of the Flop House. We're going to learn a lesson. <laughs> it's a very special episode of the Flop House, Stuart. You have an addiction to fun. And Dan, I'm divorcing you. Okay. Whoa, it's a double special episode. It's two specials, yeah. You and Stuart still love me the same, right? Even though... Mm, You're kind of the reason that... uh, Yeah. You're the reason I'm having too much fun is because, I don't know, your vanilla humanness has bored me. (laughs) What? He's got to make up for it by having too much fun. Okay. Uh, This is actually a special episode because... It's the part two of a pod crawl. Yes, we have teamed up in a, uh, let's call it a Marvel DC style crossover. We're Marvel. With, uh, awesome. With We Hate Movies. So I'm Venom, you're Gambit. And Why you're, am I Gambit? And Dan Cyclops, You're right? Gambit, Dan Cyclops, I'm Beast. Can I be Carnage? <laughs> Why no. would you want to be Carnage? Because he's cool. He's a terrible character. <laughs> okay, continue, Dan. Point is, uh, popular bad movie podcast, We Hate Movies, watched... Every Which Way But Loose. The first iconic Clint Eastwood orangutan bare-knuckle fist-fighting trucker movie. Mm-hmm. And we're Part of the Which up. Way series of <laughs> yeah. movies. Of which there are two. <laughs> For now. Yeah. And we're bringing up the rear of the duology with Any Which Way You Can. Yeah, Stuart, you raised an interesting point. When are they going to do the reboot of the series where Clint Eastwood hands off the orangutan to a younger generation? Yeah, there's uh, like a Channing Tatum or a... Uh, Tatum Channing, I don't know. <laughs> Whichever way you want to do it. Any which way you can say his name. Uh-huh. Channing and Tatum. may the monkey a, uh, will be played Cam by... Cam uh, Ape. He's an ape. He's okay. not a monkey. He's an orangutan, which is an ape and not a monkey. So any jokes using the phrase monkey business, automatically <laughs> let's just Let's just ban right now. Monkey business, monkeying around, <laughs> hey, hey, we're the monkeys, monkey wrench, or uh, I don't know, like... If you really like the movie, you can't say you're going ape over it. No, you can say Wait, that. Oh, I can say that. Yeah, awesome. yeah. yeah. That's a, it's a, he's a great ape. He's okay. one of the apes. Yeah, he's the a ape really favorite. great ape. He's a great ape. A I great mean, he example. was. Spoiler alert, that ape died. Okay, well, why don't, yeah, why don't we <laughs> bring Not of old age either. At the very beginning by talking about animal cruelty. Well, this movie is a great example of animal cruelty. <laughs> so if you... Ha- it if was you- cruel to us, the human animal. The human animal. <laughs> so if you... As Desmond Morris would say. If you want to learn what we're talking about, you can run on over to We Hate Movies and listen to their first installment where mm-hmm. they talk about the first one. And then come back to us right now for the second installment... Where we talk about this movie, which is now. So, any which way you can. It's the yeah. sequel, right? Some would say squeakwool, but they'd be wrong. There are no squeaking animals in this. Orangutans, according to this movie, make the sound of farts with their mouths and also punch people. Yeah. A lot of punch sound effects and tearing cars apart. This Whoever invented the punch sound effect made a lot of royalties off this movie. Let <laughs> sure. me tell you. Mm-hmm. 
There's a lot of smacking of lips <laughs> between <laughs> Clyde and... They kiss once. <laughs> I don't... I mean, he kisses a lot of people, He though. does, that's true. He kisses true. a guy in a bar. But he only kisses Clint Eastwood once. Okay. It reminded yeah. me... The whole time I just kept thinking about the episode of The Critic where he watches one of these movies, and Clint Eastwood's asleep, and Clyde starts kissing him, and he goes... Someone's kissing me. It must be a beautiful woman. Now I'll make sweet love to you without opening my eyes the entire time. Um, That's kind of uh, not that far from the movie in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, we'll get into that. I, I, I feel Are we like... going to... St- now, this is going to be a hard movie to summarize because there's very little plot. Yeah, well, this is the part of the show usually where Elliot would summarize the movie. I feel like this movie was made as a cruel joke <laughs> to you. Somehow Clint Eastwood would be like, Someday there's going to be a punk who's going to try and make fun of me. I'm going to make it as hard as possible. It's not a bad move. Clint Eastwood impression. It's not a bad Clint Eastwood impression. Now, one? what would happen if Clint Eastwood met Michael Caine? <laughs> I think it would go a little something like this. Hey, Michael. Hello, my friend Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and see. Okay, now what if Dracula was there? <laughs> oh... Clint Eastwood of the night. What beautiful music you make. Okay, now Henry Kissinger's there. (laughs) I can't believe I'm meeting Clint Eastwood. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay, now what does Clint Eastwood say to Henry Kissinger? Because they're both Republicans. Stay the course, buddy. You're doing a great job. Okay, now what does Pee Wee Herman say when he gets there? Uh Oh, oh. I can't it's do it. Terrible. Wow. Terrible one. I was ready There's to more of a goofy than anything. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a reason. That, they, so it was a great <laughs> that was like a dog so man. It was a great Pinto Colvig impression. <laughs> there's a reason they call me not the next rich little. Yeah, that's no yeah, they, they do call you that. Yeah. Not necessarily the rich little. Yeah. So wait. So Hold this on. movie, it's very it's there's this not, movie is like if somebody drew a bunch of cartoons of scenes <laughs> featuring the same characters on a poster and then <laughs> You just kind of looked at it all at once. It does, like a Jack Davis poster? I, yeah. It is one of those things you're watching and you're like, is this like an adaptation of a book of short stories <laughs> <laughs> about Philo and Clyde, the, the bare knuckle boxer and his orangutan buddy? Yeah, there, there was, there was it some takes sort a long of, time for any sort of story to kick in. There was some sort of blue collar PG Woodhouse out there that <laughs> they discovered these yeah. stories. Peggy Woodhouse, <laughs> a, a stay at home mom in mm-hmm. Billings. Decided to write like this. A real murders in the room org. Well, not at all in any way, except it has an orangutan in it. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. Although Clyde, it's, so, you have to assume, murdered a number of people. Sure. <laughs> he punches a lot of people in this so hard that they are immediately knocked out, yeah. probably dead. So anyway, here's the movie. So the yeah, first I wanna, movie... I want to hear where you start with this The one. first movie established that uh, Clint Eastwood has Philo Beto, uh-huh. a truck driver, mm-hmm. bare knuckle boxer, with his best friend Orville, and an orangutan named Clyde, who he just happens to have around. So the orangutan has the most normal name of the three of them. Of Philo, Orville, and Clyde? Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Uh, they also live with Ruth Gordon, uh, Orville's mom. The actor Ruth Gordon? Well, the character played by okay. Ruth Gordon in the role of sassy old lady. Yeah. Does she have sex in this movie? Yes, she does. You better believe we'll it. We'll get there. Uh, she kicks a guy in the nuts, then has sex with him. We call it the old Ruth Gordon. Sure. That's to sw- swell up his gentleman. Well, that's like why a- if you hire a prostitute and you say, give me a Ruth Gordon, she kicks you in the nuts, <laughs> and then has sex with you. Yeah. A oh, Cleveland Ruth Gordon is a different thing, though. Yeah, yeah. That's when uh, you do it in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. 
You just name it after whatever city you're in at the time. Give me a Newark Ruth Gordon. Yeah. Sorry, we're, we're in Boise. And, you're, and, and if you're on the... It's going to uh, take a while. You're on the gonna, space station, you say, give me a space Ruth Gordon. Oh, yeah, of course, because everything's space in space. Yep. Hand me that space soda. I want a space drink and so forth. Mm-hmm. I need a space straw. Mm-hmm. Costs a lot of space bucks, that space Ruth, Ruth Gordon. Can you give me a space massage? I'm feeling a lot of space aches in my space shoulders. <laughs> sure. Such a waste of time. Do you want a happy space ending? Yeah. <laughs> and so forth. Yeah, That's boy. a space massage thing. Don't yeah. go into those space parlors. They're just, you know, they're not good for you. <laughs> okay, spa- so we're... we're, we're joke. So this movie takes so place in, the in first, space. So in the first movie, <laughs> they live in California. It's a very blue-collar milieu. And this is a movie that was made at a time, late 70s, early 80s. This movie came out in 1980 mm-hmm. when it was like kind of the beginning of the end of the era of the... Hollywood making a lot of movies about blue-collar let's, people. Let's call it the Hal Needham era, I think even though a, this was not directed by him. I mean, Hal, it, it's <laughs> Hal Needham-ish in which case, because there's a lot of, like, car chasing and fist yeah. fighting, but there were if movies CB like, radios say... radios was a genre, then that would be yeah, okay. these types of Because then films. there were other movies that were li- like Fat City about blue-collar people that is yeah. not Hal Needham-esque in any way. Sure. So, uh, but you got your two strains of blue-collar movie, your low-key character studies about depressing stuff and yeah and your Hal Needham type movies about fist fights and bars mm-hmm. and honky-tonk music mm-hmm. and Drink. orangutans riding around in yeah. trucks beer trucks let's uh, face it date raping other orangutans <laughs> smashing into things. as we'll get to it yeah. but anyway so that's the, the first movie established those things and there's a and Sandra Locke Clint Eastwood's at the time real life girlfriend plays his movie love interest but they have a falling out so this movie starts I mean starts, in the movie she's yeah. she's running a scam on him yeah, and he first keeps film. following around like the whole point like the title of the movie is about this yeah so it has nothing to do with the orangutan on the poster which makes if you the orangutan's on the poster again he should be the star of the movie or yeah, it it's what be, made it the second it be highest Ed grossing LeBlanc, film of right? the yeah. I mean. And now this movie didn't do as well as that one this movie was only the fifth highest grossing <laughs> movie in 1980 <laughs> uh but so this movie starts off, Clint Eastwood has his last bare knuckle fight for a while in a, what, a quarry or an oil refinery pit or something? Yeah, something someplace. Like that. It looks like where the good guys live in Road Warrior, basically. <laughs> yeah. But it's in the middle of somewhere in California. Yeah, and this is one of these movies that we've talked about before where people are famous for things they should never be famous for. He is a bare knuckle pit fighter, but he's somehow incredibly mm-hmm. famous. He's and a legend. He's a legend. The land. And he's not famous for being the guy who drives around with a fucking orangutan. No, he's famous for being a great fist fighter. <laughs> <laughs> and if anything, the orangutan is seen as not particularly out of the ordinary or even worth mentioning. <laughs> the one the two times people talk about it, one time at the very end of the movie a cop tries to arrest him for having this orangutan. The beginning of the movie, they're in a bar, and a guy looks to he's sitting next to Clyde at the bar. Of course, Clyde gets to go in the bar and drink because this is this okay. Here's the coach from Major Major League is the bartender, and he's cool. With, hey, <laughs> here's yeah. what I'm going to pause it because they sit. He sits down, and the guy on the bar is like, "I don't like sitting next to dirty apes." <laughs> Not in a way like what the fuck, there's an ape in this bar, but in the way of, like, a racist would say it. So <laughs> yeah. it's almost like I'm going to pause it. This takes place in a universe where it's like. One of the one of the middle stages between Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and Planet of the Apes, where apes are like just finally starting to get their civil rights, but there's still a lot of racists out there who are not cool with it. And 
have decided that they're just going to cause trouble for yeah. apes. Either that or but or, but then there's a zoo that has orangutans. Well, but there, but there's know. also like a scene later on. There is one scene later on where they check into a hotel and they have to like dress Clyde up in like a a, a, a night dress. It's like a Mandy like, Yoakum oh, costume. My, my my aunt Flo or whatever. Like and aunt Flo. <laughs> well, that's uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they dress Clyde up as the concept of menstruation. Such a really elaborate outfit. <laughs> But no, it's, Clyde. I don't think this idea is really getting across. <laughs> but I don't. Hopefully, they'll think it's clever rather than funny. Yeah. yeah. Like but that's what, well, they're not going to think it's funny because it's in this movie and almost nothing in it is. But that's the only time that they make any bow to the idea that, like, oh, maybe not every establishment would be welcoming of orangutans. <laughs> so they are, uh, which orangutans, as we know from Lures in the Rue Marg, are notorious murderers. <laughs> and I know I said Murders in the Rue Marg, which sounds like Rue Marge. <laughs> Which, if the Simpsons, well, Dan was laughing, if he the Simpsons jump on it. knew what it was doing, they on the Halloween episode they'd have murder in the room, Marge, mm-hmm. where Marge is attacked by, uh, or I guess Homer is the orangutan, yeah. okay. right? It's, it's basically the King Homer cartoon yeah. from the other Treehouse of Horror episode. But anyway, getting back to the movie because we're about thirty seconds into it, Clint Eastwood uh, has a fight in at this place. He says, "That's my last fight." Clyde takes a moment to shit on the seat of a police car because mm-hmm. Clyde hates the cops. Let's just say that. He's not a big fan of the pigs and yeah. so forth. Uh, well, he's a, like a free spirit. So the character... <laughs> he's, he's like a coyote trickster spirit. <laughs> he is. That's true. He is the He's the rabbit figure of so many <laughs> African tales. Yeah. Uh, the Clyde, Personified in Western culture by Spider-Man. Um, I don't think that's not exactly. necessarily... <laughs> The mythology, I don't think, lines up down the line. I mean, not completely, line. but hear them out. Okay, let's. <laughs> you know, uh, let's continue with the movie before I go on a dissertation about how Spider Man is similar to Coyote. <laughs> okay. no, no, we've got time. Come on, Stuart. So, the, uh, the then the characters basically hang around for a long time. Clint Eastwood goes to this honky tonk bar and sees Sandra Locke perform. At least once. Yeah, we get reintroduced to characters from the first movie. Yeah, Fats Domino performs at one point. <laughs> sure. uh, this is like it's it's the movie just goes into musical numbers at times, and like that used to be more common that yeah. a movie would just have a musical number. The in Fats it. Domino being definitely the biggest name of all. The oh, sure. The first yeah, the first half of the movie features multiple like lengthy performances in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's something that I wish they had done better because I would have kind of liked it if they did it better. That there's something not, there's something about country music that I don't always like listening to like on my headphones, but in a movie I'm more than willing to have a scene where it's just a band performing. You know, yeah. there's something about country music that like I like more in a movie the same way that like techno music works for me when it's in the soundtrack of a movie, but I would sure, never when, listen to when it when vampires are fighting Blade or something. <laughs> it sounds terrible. Yeah, but by and large, these are not great country bands. No, they're this. not. They couldn't really get out the big names. Fats yeah, Domino they're, they're is the biggest. Ton- they're in honky The fact that Fats Domino is the biggest name in the country music movie is yeah. uh, says something. But anyway, eventually. We see some slick New York types who watch a mongoose fight a snake, <laughs> and they start talking about this fighter named Wilson, who apparently is so tough he's been hurting people, and no one will fight him. But then they hear about Phil Beto, the fight king of the West, played by Clint Eastwood, and they say, if we can get these two guys to fight, it'll be the fight of the century. These two famous bare-knuckle underground fighters. And so they approach uh, Clint Eastwood, and they offer him money to p- fight this guy, Wilson. The characters kind of hang around again for a while. We see Clyde literally just 
hang around the yard punching things. <laughs> Despite being grifted by Sandra Locke, they end up getting together. Yeah, he breaks her like out the of a YWCA. The third of the movie is that, right? Oh, and then... Uh, oh, yeah, we, 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 we shouldn't pass over the scene where after, yeah, he breaks her out of the YWCA, they, like, go out into, I guess, the shed. Yeah, like, this is what I want to get to. So she's going to stay over at his house. Sure. Sleeping in his, his room, which has a huge gun case. <laughs> this case just full of rifles. But anyway... She's and he's she a says, real American. Where are you going to sleep? And he goes, I'll sleep in the shed with Clyde. And he mm-hmm. beds down with Which Clyde. Which has gotten much larger, I think, than in the first film. Yeah. I, well, yeah, they expanded it with the money they made in the first so film. So Clyde is spooning him in the in this. Clyde. They are swaddled together. They spoon. In a sleeping Sandra Locke walks in and is like, basically, is there room for one more? Gets into bed with Clinton Clyde. Fade to black. Yeah, Clyde does not leave. No, Clyde yeah, puts and we're his talking hand about over a, her hand. And this is a shed with straw all over the ground, and Clint clearly took his shirt off before getting in bed with an orangutan, yeah, which well, is probably a scratchy animal. Scratchy, but also, like, Clyde has clearly peed and shat all over this shed. That's why <laughs> sure. That's why the straw is there. Yep, and he put a, he put a newspaper clipping of an orangutan he wants well, that's to bang the other, on the wall. The straw is not there so Clyde can spit it into gold after <laughs> selling his first child to Rumpelstiltskin. It's there because it's absorbing pee. But, and on the wall is an article that I guess Clyde ripped out of the newspaper of an orangutan yeah, at the zoo. He combs the fucking newspaper looking for orangutan stories. <laughs> well, he has a clipping he service. Found one. He has a clipping service that cuts orangutan stories for him. And this one that... And he's this one is a girl orangutan that he has a crush on, <laughs> and he's put it up as a as a pin up in his room. But anyway, so we fade to the next morning. Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke are just in bed with Clyde. <laughs> Clyde gets up, so leaves the two lovebirds, and after just kissing her on the face. And I something. know he's not a monkey, but he is just monkeying around in the yard for a while. Yeah, but, no, but we have to assume we have to assume that alighted in that. Was a threesome. Oh yeah, threesome between Clint Eastwood and orangutan and Sandra Locke. Well, yeah. And after Clyde leaves, they make joke. They make a comment about like, okay, he's gone. We can, you know, we can get it on. I guess. Um, they they didn't say it in so many words. And then they cut to a shot of Clyde like goofing around, breaking shit. And you're uh, assuming that's like that's a visual metaphor for intercourse, right? <laughs> there's no there's no more yeah, when he's poetic <laughs> parallel for human intercourse than a, than an orangutan in a junkyard just yeah. wrecking stuff, spraying <laughs> water into his mouth from a hose. When he's and, wiggling and his body in into a, a trash can, that's what. <laughs> yeah. And he gets wrapped up in a hammock. Yeah, yeah, let me talk to you about the birds and bees. What? That's basically what it's like. My yeah. dad sat me down when I was young and he said, "Son, I want you to hear this from me. I want to tell you about the orangutans in the trash cans." <laughs> When an orangutan Always loves a trash, trash can, can it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always. You're going to want to put a hammock on that thing before you get in, orang- in, a, in a trash can. Safe sex, hon. Safe sex. And that's why I've never had sex, because it scared the hell out of me. So thanks, Dad. So, it sounded gross. <laughs> disgusting. So anyway, Clint Eastwood has a threesome with orangutan and a lady. And he decides, I guess, that he doesn't want to fight. There's yeah, a, why would you want to fight somebody after after that? Moment? Yeah, and he and uh, pisses off the mob guys, and the mob guy says, "We'll be back." But I, I skipped over the sequence in which, or maybe it happens after this, the sequence where they're going to get Clyde a date with that orangutan he has a crush on. Mm-hmm. So they go to the zoo. That's later. Yeah, that's, that's that's after he pisses off the mobsters, and then Clyde rips apart the guys. Well, Cadillac. that's okay. So Clyde he he says, "I don't want to fight," and the mobster says, "You're gonna fight." And if you don't, my friends are going to come see you. And he's like, okay, send your friends. Clyde, rip apart his car. <laughs> yeah. So he does. Which comes after an earlier scene where we see Clyde helping Orville in Orville's junkyard business rip apart a junk car. Now that's, so, Chekhov once said. <laughs> yeah. 
if an orangutan rips apart a car in the first act, we have to see the orangutan rip across rip apart a mobster's car in the second act. But each of these scenes are like five minutes of, <laughs> because, of this primate. No, look, you got this movie is almost car. two hours long. You got to pad it out. So let's see the orangutan p- pick up every piece of the car and, and then, then have an insert shot of it flying of the throwing air. a piece of. <laughs> Metal through the air. It's like uh, it's like the shot in Lady Hawk when they shoot down the hawk with an arrow, and it mm-hmm. clearly looks like somebody just stuck a hawk with an arrow and <laughs> threw it in the air. It looks or it's the shot in at the end of Rookie of the Year when <laughs> the guy hits a ho- hit, he hits a, uh, the ball really high, and you can clearly see a hand at the bottom of the frame throwing the ball up in the air. I was gonna say it's, it's like the shot at the end of Goonies where he tears up the contract and throws it up in the air, and then you see other pieces of confetti come in from the other sides as like two other people from. Each Side throw in more torn up paper. Now, another thing we should mention, there's a biker gang that Clint Peace pissed off in the first movie called the Black Widows. Mm-hmm. They are a neo-Nazi gang, but they're pretty incompetent and bumbling, so they're kind of yeah, lovable. they're like Hogan's Heroes style. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like if, if you mixed Hogan's Heroes and Sons of Anarchy, that's basically <laughs> yeah. what these guys are. And they... First, Clyde punches them and they fall down. Mm-hmm. Another time, they get, they get chased through a tar factory, I guess. Yeah. And they got hot tar on them, and Clint takes them to the hospital. And that's hot tar is can kill people. Like yeah. it's really dangerous. But all that happens is their hair get ripped off, gets ripped and off. So they're wearing they're, crazy they're wigs. They're frozen into statue shapes. Yeah, yeah. But then the hospital, they take the tar off. Oh, okay. Yeah, hair just like how the it. dinosaurs were just frozen into statue shapes. Oh, I wish, <laughs> man. If we could just bunch of statue dinosaurs. Yep. Yep. That's why there's all those dinosaur statues. <laughs> that's in why the, the dinosaurs are bald. <laughs> and uh, they wear funny, funny clown wigs. Dinosaur clown wigs. Spoiler alert: Those guys after they lose their Jurassic hair, Park, they get funny cl- <laughs> Jurassic Park four funny clown wigs. We uh, mix the DNA of the dinosaurs with the DNA of funny clown wigs. So, so this is a, this is a gang of we, be- hope, we hope nothing bad happens, and then the dinosaurs don't get loose. But no one wants uh, to see these the dinosaurs, dinosaurs with the crazy di- clown hair. The dinosaurs are dangerously hilarious. The children are too afraid of the dinosaurs. No, of the clowns. <laughs> We never should have mixed them with clown DNA. Watch this. And he just pokes a dinosaur and you hear, <laughs> they're not supposed <laughs> to make that terrible. noise. We're going to have to, okay, we'll fit all the dinosaurs into one car, <laughs> take them on tour around the country, make the clown DNA work for us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, million dollar idea. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe half a million. I think the audience would pay a million dollars to not have heard that whole thing. <laughs> anyway, so... Clint Eastwood's going to have to do this fight. We'll find out later why. But he's he's pissed off the mob. And the important thing to know, though, is Clyde's got to get laid. Uh-huh, so yeah. they go to the zoo. Clyde got to have it. <laughs> that was originally, Clyde was originally cast, and she's got to have it. Until Spike Lee decided, you know what? Let me make this about contemporary Brooklyn life and not about an orangutan <laughs> who's really horny. Yeah. Anyway, so they go to the zoo, and this is where it gets morally dubious. This is where the pit-fighting movie about a guy who keeps an orangutan in a shed and has sex with it becomes morally dubious, in that they go to the zoo with a vial of some kind of sedative. Yeah, yeah where get, do you get that sedative from? The, from the vet, I guess. Okay. A mail-order <clears throat> orangutan sedative <laughs> company. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Clint Eastwood was mixing it up he in a bat in his backyard. Back then, you can you didn't have the internet. You had to order it from the back of the comic. <laughs> that was books. back when you could buy you could buy guns and, and orangutan medicine from the back yeah. of comic. I feel books. like this is a movie where the appearance of anything incongruous can be explained by that he just fought a guy for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can see that. Yeah, 
Like where this where this gang get these great wigs? Oh, they fought some guy for it. And so yeah, that's a good point. Okay, where did Clyde get that? Thing? What the what the newspaper clipping? Yeah, the newspaper clipping. He fought <laughs> his clipping service. Yeah, he <laughs> fought and he won a year's supply of clipping service. <laughs> you sure you just want orangutan news? You got a year's supply. Go crazy. No, just the orangutan. Just, the, just okay. give me hot orangutans. I got. I lost my subscription to PlayChimp. Anyway, so they go to the zoo. Clyde somehow they have a vial. They have a, a syringe of orangutan sedative and a banana. And Clyde. <laughs> Sticks himself with the syringe and passes out. So Clint's like, I guess it's up to me. Hope I find the right tan. And Which we uh, don't know if he did. We no, only, we do, because she, he, brings her, he brings her back and Glides all over. But, yeah, but that, Which leads to, they go to a motel. And this is when Cl- uh, Clint and Sandra Locke are in one room. Uh-huh. Clyde and his date are in another room. Anne Ramsey and her husband. <laughs> Anne Ramsey, are, you may remember from Throw Mama from the, the Train. Eponymous the eponymous mama. <laughs> mama. <laughs> the, uh, she, uh, earlier in the movie, she and her husband were seen driving down the highway, and they saw Clint Orville and Clyde peeing on the side of the road. It was a hilarious gag. <laughs> now those characters come back, and the, the orangutans are making so much noise that they want to leave, but she gets up to pack the suitcase, and the sight of her butt as she bends over the suitcase and the sound of orangutans doing it drives her husband wild with lust, and so they it have recalls sex. some kind of like like past life experience he had of some of a uh, hula dancer. Of a hula dancer. Meanwhile, well, so there's, there's like the flat like there's you hear some jungle drums on the soundtrack. It's very disturbing. It's all this is one of a couple times in the movie that it gets really goofy, and the next time is about to come up too. So that so the mob bad guys. But wait, hold on. Let let's not gloss over the fact. You mentioned it before, but let's let's underline this. Clint Eastwood has kidnapped an orangutan, so that his orangutan, so his orangutan, his orangutan can have can sex. Basically, with it. sexually assault this well, we don't know. Well, other they, monkey. The the woman. Well, here's Ape, the thing. Sorry. The, the female orangutan. She is, seems into it. She's lying in bed. She seems into it. Meanwhile, Clyde's just I mean, wasting his time. What would she look like if she was not into it? I assume she'd like have her mace she out. She'd say no. Her what, like assault. a mace, like a cudgel? Yeah, like a like a ball and chain, like a morning, <laughs> morning star. star. Yeah. yeah, the uh, just a medieval a medieval <laughs> ape swinging a morning star. How scary would that have been? What a great idea! An idea of a knight who yeah. car- who like rides around with an orangutan on no, no, no. Uh, on a horse. It's and- a mysterious knight who never speaks, and it <laughs> turns out he's an orangutan. Okay, I like it. But he's noble at heart. He fights a dragon. It turns out the dragon is just a big dog. Sure. <laughs> but this love and they it. save the king of England, who turns out to be a pigeon with a bottle cap on his head that looks like a crown. I call it Elliot's fairy tale animals. <laughs> but this love interlude with Clint and Sandra I have takes like love a movie. movie. It's interrupted. And this is a long yeah. scene. It takes it a long time. It goes on at least 15 minutes. And Clyde is impressing his date by picking up the furniture and throwing it and hanging from the chandelier. Clint impresses Sandra Locke by also hanging from the chandelier. Okay, Shirtless wearing jeans. Meanwhile, a bunch of mobsters with guns they and uh, three-piece suits because it's the 70s. They go to Ruth Gordon's house and Orville's house and they say, where's, uh, where's Philo? Mm-hmm. They basically threaten them into telling them where they are and then they go to try to stop them. Ruth Gordon goes, oh no, I gotta save them, I guess. Jumps yeah. in a tow truck, drives away. Orville gets in his car and drives away. They, uh, Ruth they Gordon, drive past miles and miles of auto body shops. Yeah, yeah. this is in this movie, every store is an auto body shop. <laughs> Occasionally there's a fast food restaurant, mm. but it's like, it's kind of like in Cannonball Run, the entire country is just roads and cars. Like, in this one, it's just roads and repair shops. Having grown up in the Midwest, that is not entirely inaccurate. This movie doesn't take place in the Midwest. They're going to Bakersfield, California. I'm just saying, the, the great center of this, of this land of ours 
is uh, is a vast and I repeat mo- again, emptiness. that's not where the movie takes place. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's like if the movie is set in New York and it was nothing but ice Dairy Queens, and you were like, hey, in the Midwest, there's a lot of Dairy Queens. Well, not not that many in New York, and you're certainly there's you, other businesses. Once you get out of the city in in California, broaden your horizons is what we're saying. I guess you're telling me to go to the boring parts of the country. Yeah, mm-hmm. stop wasting my time in the vibrant metropolises. Yep, metropolises. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I have a super van. Okay. Point is, Ruth Gordon. Uh, Ruth Gordon goes to the motel. Tracks them down the motel to Warren Clint Eastwood. She sees the the hotel proctor who's. It, Peeping in on the people of having the, sex. One of the sex couples. It could be the orangutans. Because I mean, frankly, if you were passing by a motel, <laughs> you saw orangutans having sex in the window, you would stop well, and watch. Well, the point is... The Let, sound... don't, don't lie to me, Dan. <laughs> Tell me the truth. You would stop and watch. I, certainly I would. But the point Gun is... And, and you know how long you would watch? Until they Until were finished. Completion. Uh, no, yeah, exactly. You would watch the afterglow and the cuddling for a while just to make sure they didn't start up again. Because you're a perv. But the sound, the sound of a You're the only guy who goes to the zoo and then yells like, come on, go at it. I paid my $7. The sound of orangutans Disgusting. having $7? Sets. That's a small zoo. It's a very small zoo, and they only have turtles. Sure. No orangutans at all. What am I shouting at? <laughs> He's shouting at the turtles. And if any birds happen to be slow. flying by, hey, bird, come on down and have sex <laughs> with this turtle. turtle. having sex is very slow, which makes it all the sexier. It's all tantric. It's more sensual, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to, I, yeah when Sting says... I do tantric sex and I can have sex for hours. The turtle's like, uh, yeah, and? <laughs> but what I wanted to say, the sound of the orangutans having sex has whipped this entire hotel clom- complex oh. into an erotic frenzy. And so Ruth Gordon sees this guy peeping and he is suddenly totally turned on by Ruth Gordon. And he, this is the other goofy moment, is he visualizes Bo Derek in 10 running down the beach but with Ruth Gordon's face superimposed over Bo Derrick. Yeah, we're talking about modern-day level special effects. This is like a Steve Odekirk movie level (laughs) joke and effect in a way that, uh, like, I wish this movie had more of it because when this movie is best, and by best I mean tolerable, is when it goes totally off the rails. But anyway, he goes, how about it, to Ruth Gordon, who kicks him in the nuts and then then immediately is like, oh, no, the only live one in 20 years, and I ruin him. And then she comes on to him, and it's implied they have sex also. Uh, So... So everyone Orville, is sexually satisfied. Orville goes, he knows the mob is coming, so what he does is he goes to a fast food restaurant where he sees some cops, yells at them that they're gay, they get mad and chase him to the motel, it breaks up, the and the mob guys run away when they hear the sirens. He saved Clint Eastwood, but at what cost? Now he's in jail, and they think he's and, a homophobe. Yeah, he's a labeled homophobe. Yeah. yeah. Now he's going to get gonna kicked He's going to be on a watch list. He's no longer going to be the CEO of Mozilla. <laughs> <laughs> he has to sell his yeah. share in the LA Clippers. <laughs> That's right. Orville's whole business has fallen apart. Yeah. So um, after that, they so lo- they go to return this orangutan they kidnapped to the zoo. <laughs> and while they're there, the mob guys come. They kidnap Sandra Locke. They beat up Clint Eastwood, and they light his truck on fire. Clyde saves him by dragging him across a parking lot. Slowly dragging him. him like two feet away from where he was originally. <laughs> so he's still singed probably. Yeah. Uh, and Clint Eastwood and Orville are like, we got to get her back. Yeah. Mm, but after in the meantime, spending some time working on yeah, fucking car parts. He, he does go He's home working on an and engine. repair his truck. Doesn't seem that concerned. He's then like, he, well, that's easy, true. easy come, easy it's go. It's like he, he's repairing his truck and he gets a call from the mob that's like, uh, you gonna try to rescue your girlfriend? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a girlfriend. I forgot about that. <laughs> Clyde and I have moved on. Please, tell her to let it go. I'm a <laughs> one orangutan man. Uh, and they say... too complex before. We're gonna, you have to do this fight or else we're gonna kill her, I guess. And... 
The fight's going to be in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And oh, it's oh, a good va- vacation. I'm, I apologize. We skipped a very we skipped a very Im- important we skipped part. a very important scene, which is why that he said he wasn't going to do the fight. Which is that the other fighter Wilson just shows up one day and starts jogging with Clint Eastwood, and they really get along and hit it off as friends. Yeah, and a lot in common. They Wilson like punching people falls off a cliff, and Clint Eastwood <laughs> saves him. Yeah. <laughs> and so like. They are buddies now, and yeah. they don't want to fight. It's like and moving then, uh, the thorn Wilson. from the line. And it's one of those things where it's like, they've been talking about this Wilson guy as if he is a monster. He's been hurting people. No one will fight him. And when he shows up, he is the most good-natured, well-mannered man. Mm-hmm. Like, he's super friendly. Everybody loves him. He should be the hero of the movie. If anything, Clint yeah. Eastwood is the villain of this movie. He is enslaved an orangutan. He kidnaps another orangutan. He, he, go, he infiltrates a YWCA and breaks the rules there. He is living off the largesse of Ruth Gordon. Mm-hmm. He is the bad guy, and this the guy monster. Wilson is a real stand-up noble yeah. act. You know? he, I mean, he's he's got a his business is based around beating people up. I mean, people. So that is are the willing, hero of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I feel like we. You know who else's like... business was based around beating people up? Superman. Oh, nice. <laughs> How'd that pay for him? Very well, <laughs> because what would happen was he would set it up with uh, the bad guys. They would pay him to come defeat them. And then he would like steal some of the money and give it to him. You that's know? that's pretty meta. That sounds let's like say, a current DC book. Let's say you're robbing a bank. <laughs> Superman comes in, quote, stops you. Uh-huh. Really, at super speed, he takes some of the money. He wants and gives to it wet to his later. beak a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, Superman has a beak in these stories because he, he's it's one of those imaginary stories where a witch put a spell on him and he has a bird head. I now. thought that was the bad guy, the, the like the evil version of Thor. That's like a like. What Beta Ray Bill? Yeah, Beta Ray Bill. He's, I he's thought he had a beak good though. Guy. No, he's got a horse face. <laughs> All right, let's. Okay. I think we need to like sort of like fast forward a little bit. Fast the forward, they go is, to Jackson Hole. Wilson helps him uh, Wilson rescue helps him, Sandra Locke. Wilson helps him rescue Sandra Locke. Orville gets shot in the in the during the rescue attempt, which the brilliant plan involves Orville jumping out from behind a corner on the top of a guy. <laughs> yeah, and then and they punch each other for a while. He jumps on top of her, and then they the, just the shoot. Got shot. Oh, that's right. Uh, well, they don't want to fight, but then they're like, and there's all this money that was bet on the fight. People are coming from all over the country to bet on this fight. Even old from people. Uh, Northern Exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Barry Corbin comes all the way Barry from Northern Corbin. Exposure I prefer to think of as War, War, Games. War Games is Barry Corbin. Yeah. And his, uh, Barry Corbin, and he is the best character in the whole movie, aside from Wilson, the bad guy who's really a good guy. Barry Corbin is one of three, I guess, rich cowboys who just travel the country having the same strip poker game with their three <laughs> girlfriends and flying a plane upside down. They seem to have the f- most fun life in the world. But anyone go, everyone goes to Jackson Hole. The Black Widows go, and they bet on Phil. These two old ladies go, and they bet on Phil. Everyone wants to see this fight happen. And Phil and Wilson say, you know what? We're not going to fight. We're friends. And then they're like, hey, you know what? But I do wonder who would have won that fight, you or me. So they go to an abandoned barn in the middle of, like a repair shack somewhere, a barn, mm-hmm. and they just start punching each other. Some kids see them doing it. The police see the kids. Word gets out, the fight is on. <clears throat> the entire town runs over like they're running away from a giant spider or something, just running down the street to go watch this fight. And it's like a shitty version of The Quiet Man. Uh, Clint Eastwood and this guy Wilson just punching each other all around town. Yeah, like bursting through walls, doing like scene, stage transitions. They from burst one through the window of an Italian restaurant. They're in a mall. They, yeah. And they, what are those people doing sitting around eating Italian food? They should be watching this awesome fight. And much like in Gangster Squad, it ends up in a public park <laughs> uh, where, long story short, Clint Eastwood gets his arm broken by Wilson, and Wilson says, That's it, the fight's over. I broke your arm. And Clint's like, No, I'm not done yet. They keep fighting. He manages to knock uh, Wilson out. The guys who were 
the bookies who arranged the whole thing and now are out all this money because everyone, I guess, bet on the winner, uh, which makes me feel bad for Wilson that apparently nobody bet on him. They, yeah, he's such a nice guy, and he's totally ripped. They try to run out of town, but the Black Widows stop them and take all the money. The Black Widows are totally made up with Clint by this point. Mm-hmm. They realize he's a great fighter, and he's not that bad a guy, and now they're rich. And Clint Eastwood goes home. Yeah, he basically leaves. He gets stopped on the way out of town by a by a, a motorcycle cop, but Clyde punches him, so everything's okay. It's like the end of Stoker. Any which way you can. <laughs> yep, it's just like the end of Stoker. It's slightly less fatal than the end of Stoker. I don't know. He hit that cop pretty hard. You don't see him get up. That's true. He he is, and he's also he's knocked out in the middle of the desert. He'll probably die of heat, uh, sure, you know, heat stroke or dehydration. Coyote consumption. Just a coyote. It's just like Gangster Squad again. A coyote's going to come along and eat him. Sure. So here's let you know what. There's so much to say that's bad about this movie and the loose plot and it's stupid. Uh, let me tell you one thing I liked about it. Okay. okay, just one thing. There's a lot of handheld camera work. In the fight scenes and the scenes where Clyde is just monkeying around. Oh, I thought we were... Never mind. We banned that pun, but I'm saying anyway. You know, I'll pay my fine later. Was it like (laughs) 10 monkey bucks or something? Uh, It'd be eight bucks. And I really like how... I really liked that. Like the use of handheld cameras in those scenes. I guess. And that's the one thing uh, I liked. Although when they're fighting, um, like... The thing I didn't like about this movie, well, the thing, one of the things I didn't like about this movie is for a movie based on, in part, on bare knuckle fighting, like all of the fight scenes just consisted terrible. of Clint Eastwood punching at the camera. And then it would cut to a guy like, whoa, 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 like falling backwards. The <laughs> yeah, fights are no choreography. terribly choreographed. Okay, so things I liked. Okay. I liked every time the Black Widow showed up, we got a little bit of like doo-wop or like a little bit of jazz <laughs> yeah, for saxophone. Some, for some reason, these neo-Nazi bikers and 50s doo-wops, like, well, they're bikers. They listen to doo-wop, yeah, I guess, right? Yeah, they're tough guys. Uh, I like they're that, like the Gorch. I like that first uh, fight in the quarry when, uh, when Clint Eastwood knocks that guy down, and then there's two babes just bouncing up and down. Okay, that was a moment where there's two busty babes jumping up and down, and I was like, I, I was like, I like this. Let's see more of them. And then the camera literally zooms in on one mm-hmm. of their bo- on on a set of boobs, and I was like, all right, now I feel kind of gross. Yeah, yeah they, they yeah. make you feel like a voyeur. That was, like, the, uh, was that. You know what? <laughs> that was that, a film critiquing your male gaze. That Elliot. scene. That <laughs> yeah, that's that funny moment, games all over again. That moment accomplished what Sucker Punch failed to do in two hours, <laughs> sure. which was. Make me identify my lust and then feel bad for it for objectifying these women. Zack Snyder, you should watch any any which way you can and realize how a master does it. And that master is whoever directed this. Uh, Buddy Van Horn, I believe. Buddy Van Horn. Uh, Of the Deadpool. (laughs) And of other movies. He made some movies with Clint Eastwood. Uh, Guys. I'm going to say another thing. Okay. This movie is, as you said, we're watching it, rich with incident. <laughs> and I've discovered the difference between a movie like this and a movie like Killer of Sheep, which is also just incident, but which is a rich picture of, of the life of a community. And that is quality. <laughs> so I guess that's the difference. <laughs> what, what, what kind of movie is this? Was this a... Was this a comedy or was it an action movie? I mean, I think it's was, I think it's, it's categorized com- under adventure comedy. Adventure comedy, you know, like which is your, a pretty uh, loose seventies style. Of the Nile and your uh, yeah, sure, people swinging romancing from the stone. your romancings of the stone and your uh, your uh, straw dogs is. Right. I guess it's not really a comedy or an adventure. I feel like uh, this has uh, you know your this, Ghostbusters is yeah. This is one of those. Uh, I mean, this feels like a very seventies movie. There's a lot of scenes that are. A little too long, like crane shots that go on just a little too long. Yeah. All shots went on Every, too long. Everything in the movie is very slow-paced. And I'm going to go likes, is fine with a slow-paced movie if it makes sense. This did not. 
a wacky comedy about an orangutan and a fist fighter should not be a slow-paced movie. Yeah. And the orangutan is, of course, an afterthought. And the orangutan is totally superfluous to almost everything in the movie except the kidnapping another orangutan for sex subplot. Although that was like it was like <laughs> the screenwriters. Which was the best subplot? <laughs> it's like the screenwriters were like, we gotta have a reason to explore for this Clyde, for Clyde to still be in the movie. We have to come up with a reason why this movie can't start with Clint Eastwood looking down at a tombstone that says Clyde on it. <laughs> So let's put this subplot in. But otherwise, he doesn't factor into the final fight. He doesn't factor into any of the scenes where they, like, get away with stuff, except, I guess, when that mob guy's car gets ripped off, ripped up. Like, if he's just a hindrance, and he never helps them in any way. Yeah. All right, we got to tie a bow on this, so uh, let's go to Final Judgments. Is this a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of like? Uh, Elliot, what do you have to say about that? I wish I could have said it was a movie I kind of liked... Uh, but I'm gonna have to say a bad, bad movie. Yeah, uh, it was almost a good. It had the potential to be a good, bad movie. I would say that the for me, the first half of this movie was a bad, bad movie. The second half was a good, bad movie. If it was all like the second half, but you got to slog through the first half to get the yeah. second half. Do yeah. As soon as they kidnap that uh, that poor orangutan, it's uh, it becomes a good, bad movie. I think, but uh, <laughs> up until that point, now. So if you're making a movie and the movie is slowing down, have the characters kidnap an orangutan <clears throat> for sex. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily for them to have sex with it. No, but... for them, yeah. Okay. I mean, if you're making a bi- wait, like the filmmakers. If you were making a like, a, you, no, like if you're making a biography of Charles Lindbergh and it's starting to drag, have Lindbergh kidnap an orangutan and have sex with it. Yeah, I guarantee you, it'll shoot some energy into the movie. Uh, so before um, we move on, before we move on, we have a few words from uh, sponsors. Stu, uh, I believe you had a few words first up. So, guys, listeners at home. You love your mom, right? Of course you do. And if you didn't, you'd be a monster. And you're terrible. So coming uh, in a couple of weeks, we got Mother's Day, or a week and a half, or a week from the airing of this episode. And thanks to the Flophouse, you now can get a little deal on <clears throat> on some flowers for that mother in your life. Fleur de Mer. Why don't you surprise her with a beautiful sure. 100 Blooms bouquet, plus a free glass vase... Uh, from proflowers.com for just $19.99. Did you hear that, Elliot? $19.95 for flowers and a vase? You and probably a, have that in your wallet right now. Over yeah, at, so I should pay cash, is what you're saying? <laughs> yep. Yeah, just feed into the disk drive. <laughs> Give it to me and I'll send it to Pro Flowers. Uh, and you can upgrade to 100 blooms with a pink vase and chocolates for only nine ninety nine more. That's only uh, roughly twenty nine ninety nine. That's a pretty good deal. Now, what you need to do uh, is use the code Flophouse to get this special price on your Mother's Day order while supplies last. So you just go over to proflowers.com. Not no, proflowers.clown. <laughs> so go to proflowers.com. On the upper right-hand corner is a blue microphone, and you need to click on that thing. There will be a little uh, a little text line, and you type in Flophouse. The name of your favorite podcast. Yep, the name of your favorite uh, Flophouse is The Flophouse. <laughs> it's a podcast. And that deal expires Friday at midnight, so don't drag your feet, guys. Friday before Mother's Day. Uh, yes, that's the Friday before Mother's Day at midnight. So don't drag your feet. Get your mom some flowers. And also... We have another sponsor uh, for this episode. It is one Warby Parker, a new concept in eyewear. Look, guys, if you can't see, 
You can't see. That's a terrible thing. Well, you shouldn't have to pay out the nose for that, right? So this is a service for blind people? Well, it's for people like me who've got uh, and not 20-20 vision. And, uh, I believe and people... I have 22,000 vision. <laughs> well, people who think that glasses should not be uh, a pretty penny. And Warby Parker's prescription glasses start at $95, including the prescription lenses. And the titanium collection starts at a mere $145, including prescription lenses. And all glasses include anti-reflective and anti-glare coating at no additional cost. But the real advantage of Warby Parker is you can buy your glasses online with the Home Try-On program, which allows customers to order five pairs of glasses to be shipped directly to them where they can try them on in the comfort of their own home and get feedback from, say, your wife, the person who has to stare at your mug, or your husband. Someone that you want to impress. Who also has to stare at your mug. Yeah. <laughs> or your mug collection. <laughs> Maybe your mugs want to stare at you for once. It's only fair. <laughs> You've been staring at them. You can keep those frames for five days before sending them back free with the prepaid returning shipping label with no obligation to buy. And when you pet place an order, uh, Warby Parker will get started on that order right away and have your new glasses in your hands within 10 business days. Or even faster than that. And even better, for every pair of glasses sold, Warby Parker will distribute a pair of glasses to someone in need. You can also get prescription polarized sunglasses or non-prescription polarized sunglasses. Um, if you want to take advantage of this offer, go over to WarbyParker.com and uh, use the code FLOPHOUSE. Now, um, use the code FLOPHOUSE whenever you buy anything. Yeah. But especially Pro Flowers. If a thing asks you for a code, try using Flophouse. Try using Flophouse, especially if it's Pro Flowers, which you should buy, and Warby Parker, which you all should buy. I, in fact, am wearing Warby Parker uh, glasses at this moment. And you look way better than you should. Yeah. I'm usually kind of a dopey-looking fellow. Mm -hmm. But now, I'm like Clark Kent. Is this some kind of James Dean character? Yeah. (laughs) With glasses? (laughs) Yeah, he'd look good with glasses. He would look good with glasses. So, uh, but now... Let's move on a little bit uh, to um, a little all things comedy specific uh, plugging. Uh, take a take a look at uh, Eddie Pepitone's podcast, Pep Talks, a comedic look at the crumbling of our world. Eddie guides us into the apocalypse every Thursday with guest comedians, and check him out at, at Eddie Pepitone on Twitter. Iconic comedian Eddie Pepitone, mm-hmm. a cranky but hilarious fellow, um, and for our personal. Plug. On May the 10th in Yonkers, New Personal York. plug. <laughs> we will be doing a live show at the Alamo Draft House at 7.30 p.m. That's May, May the 10th, 10th 7:30 at 7.30 p.m. p.m. Please show up early as Alamo they... Alamo Draft House, Yonkers. Sleepwalkers. Yeah. <laughs> the Draft House is tough on latecomers, so show up uh, before early. that 7.30 No p.m. texting. Time. Come by 7.15 for best results. No talking during the movie. Except uh, from us. Yeah, we'll be screening... Sorry. Stephen King Sleepwalkers. Stephen King. Mick Garris. And we'll have an intro by our friends at I Love Bad Movies. <laughs> and movies. running commentary friends. from us. <laughs> us. Running. <laughs> Comment, Airy. Yeah. All laughs aside, guys. I'm looking forward to doing this show. Me yeah. too. It's going to be a really fun show. We haven't done a live show in a long time. And I don't know when we're doing another one anytime soon. So get the self 
to Yonkers. Yeah, with this guy... Just in time for Mother's Day. Nailed down with his uh, beautiful little bundle of joy. Yep. I'm pretty happy with my kitten, Dan. That's yeah. what you were talking about. <laughs> uh-huh. That's what Dan was talking Muscles about. Muscles is pretty adorable. Um, but moving on to letters from listeners. Oh, our favorite part of the podcast. It is, and here's my favorite part of the favorite part of the podcast. What's that? Letters. Letters get out of your fetters. Just kind of stares at Everything's when he about starts. to get betters for the letters. As Dan frees them from the letter prison, he keeps them in. State. Dan's a cruel letter warden. <laughs> like Dan keeps the letters in the prison all the time. I, That's solitary not. for you. Solitary for you, too. That's Making the female mad. letters have pillow fights all the time and take showers. Dan's a corrupt okay, letter well. warden. Free them from the letter prison, it's Dan. Always, it's always darkest before Free the them from the letter prison so we can read them and reply to them get out of that letter prison thanks Elliot. uh for this first letter it's titled that was kind of short castle freak just interrupted. like me castle freak interrupted I think, this, guess, I, th- I think i can handle this one Stewart's <laughs> word so something tells me the phrase ding dong is gonna be used it's from cody last name withheld Oh, the, the guy from Step by Step. Yeah. <laughs> Greetings, floppers. After multiple recommendations from Stuart, I at long last fired up the internet and took in a showing of Castle Freak at my local video streaming service. Thinking at a justifiable precaution, I did so while my wife was still at work. That's the full moon streaming, I would hope. Cosmic vibes aligned such that she managed to return home just as Jeffrey Combs was nose deep in a prostitute. <laughs> Thankfully, I still had my pants on. So the explanation, I heard about it on a <laughs> podcast, <now>. somehow satisfied <laughs> her curiosity about why I was watching this on a weekday afternoon. I have a great wife. Not long. It's part of the Disney afternoon, I swear. <laughs> uh, Gummy Bears was just on, this and is, Tailspin's about to be on. This is the Wuzzles. That was a Saturday morning okay. show. Okay. Not, <laughs> not Dan. Thanks, thanks for fact-checking me. I'm yeah, well, if it's about Wuzzles, I'm going to fact-check. <laughs> All right. Not too long after this... There the- was a half lion, <laughs> half bee, and a half elephant, half, what, kangaroo? Yeah, so... Elaroo, I think the, his name was. The, the, the last part refers to animals, but what does the was part mean? Because, like, what they are was they? animals? Was? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you check, it checks out. Um, the not- was part <laughs> refers to how it was profitable for the toy company. <laughs> So, so Castle Freak, he's watching yeah. it, his wife walks in, honey, it's not what it looks like. This isn't a freak who lives in a castle. <laughs> not too long after this, <laughs> the two of us decided to take in Reanimator, which she had not yet seen. Sure. I mentioned to my wife that Stuart Gordon... date night, I guess. <laughs> I mentioned to my wife, Stuart Gordon, the auteur behind Castle Freak, directed this picture as well. Then, as Dr. Hill's severed head zeroed in on Barbara <laughs> Crampton's nethers, my wife exclaimed, What? What's the deal with this guy in muff diving? <laughs> she did enjoy Reanimator, but now Stuart Gordon will forever be the director that loves muff diving to her. About a week later, my wife spent the evening with a few friends of hers, one of whom had brought a new girlfriend along. In the course of conversation, this mysterious girlfriend revealed that she was in fact the niece of Stuart Gordon, and shockingly, not proud of that. Oh, that's too bad. Unfortunately, thanks to recent mental associations, she couldn't maintain eye contact long enough to ask any probing questions. What Gordon-related encounters will the universe direct our way in the near future? Clearly, we've established some sort of karmic link. I'll keep you posted. Cordially yours, Cody, last name withheld. Wow, we got some celeb sightings. Yeah, well, I kind of <laughs> celeb niece sightings. 
Uh, well, I will write down all my questions in a letter and mail them off to you. <laughs> so you can ask the niece of Stuart Gordon. Like, when is the Dolls franchise going to continue? <laughs> <laughs> What's Dagon like in real life? Sure. Dagon, did you yeah. say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Dagon the go? painter? <laughs> what, would you, what would you say? Dagon. No, Dagon. Right. Dagon. Right. He said, like, Dagon. Yeah, that's if he was trying to be fancy. I see. Um, this next like letter. There, he was a deep one and he was putting on airs. Sure. <laughs> yes. I got to impress Narlothotep. <laughs> Make him think I'm, I'm educated. Uh, this next letter is from Stacy, last name withheld. She says... Stacy Keebler. Hello, boys. I hope all is well with you at the Flophouse. Yeah, I would like you, know. you to know that you have officially invaded my brain. I had a dream last night with you in it. Actually, Elliot was mysteriously missing for some reason. Mm. Mm, couldn't handle it. <laughs> well, not everyone's ready for this jelly. <laughs> But Dan and Stuart were there. Mostly Dan, though. I won't get into details, but it involved me being in a super pretentious hipster bar in Brooklyn. Sounds like a stress dream. That was playing <laughs> videos of Stuart dancing and singing in a tiny Speedo on the beach. Okay, that's possible. Dan apparently moving out of his apartment, and at one point, Dan walking into my house naked. <laughs> Needless to say, I greeted him with, Looking good, Dan! Even though he was not looking good. <laughs> but he seemed so depressed, I was worried he would kill himself if I revealed how horrible he looked. I would leave. I will leave all the parts in between up to your imagination. But I will tell you that when Dan was moving out of his apartment, he was for some reason just carrying all of his possessions from one place to the next on foot and dropping a lot of it in between. I ended up walking behind him and picking up his bowling ball and size 15 worn down old man slippers for him. So bizarre. Anywho, just wanted to say hi and keep on flopping. Were you still naked at that point? <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to know. I guess. All my yeah. clothes have been packed. <laughs> sure. You guys are awesome, and the only thing I enjoy about my commute to work, and you make me laugh out loud every day, keep up the good work, and Dan, keep up that bod. XOXO, Stacy. Thanks for writing in, Stacy, and not <laughs> letting me into your weird moving slash sex dream. <laughs> and thank you for imagining me so uh, apparently... Uh, Willing to walk downwind of you while yeah. you drop bowling balls and whatnot. <laughs> sure. <laughs> downwind. Because he's an animal, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... So well, that's that was a very flattering letter, Dan. It was. That, how does that make so you feel? Do, do you write that? I did not write that. No, I. I you must be. Or should I say, Stacy comes in that has anything <laughs> complimentary about me that you assume you must be on top of the show. world with these new glasses, uh-huh. letters about your bod. Where's the letter bag going to take us next? That's what we call it, right? A letter bag. <laughs> <laughs> letter sack. Yeah. So this last letter... Reach deep into the letter bag and pull out a a choice gem. (laughs) This last letter... (laughs) Dust off that gem and read it out loud. Polish it nicely. Okay. For the resale. Use a steam. Use a steam thing. (laughs) Okay, now it's some kind of like steel wool, I guess. You're wearing chain mail. You're orcs in chain mail. Okay, now it's a creaky door. There's a witch behind it. (laughs) And a bubbling cauldron. Wait, we can't hear that. That, that sounds gross. And that's not the right sound. You <laughs> sounds go, like a Stuart Gordon movie. Here's the sound it would make. Bubble. Bubbling. <laughs> Bubble. All right. Well, this last letter is from David, last name withheld. Oh, God. This better not be. Elliot's brother. Oh, why? It's so late. It's titled, Harold and Me. Dear Flopcasters, my heart was Wait, warm. Wait, so is he, in, is he mod? <laughs> uh, my heart was warm while listening to the Olympus Has Fallen episode 
When Elliot regaled listeners with the epic tale of our first brush with fame at the world premiere of Multiplicity. I think it was the New York premiere. I don't know if it was the world premiere. However, in listening to Elliot's version... They probably held the world premiere in, like, Tokyo or something. (laughs) In listening to Elliot's version of the events, I feel there were some important disparities or clarifying details left out. Well, thank goodness I'm here to fix that, right? Nope. So since you asked, here we go. (laughs) First of all... The reason we had tickets to Multiplicity was not simply because our father's connection to the president of Columbia TriStar, and yes, they were in fact college roommates, but because it was a consolation prize to the family after we'd been told we could visit the set of the Brad Pitt Harrison Ford action film, The Devil's Own. Oh, I forgot about that. Which was scheduled to be filming scenes at Christ Church in Short Hills, New Jersey. At the last minute, however, filming for The Devil's Own was moved from the church, and so we were given tickets to Multiplicity to make up for disappointment. As for my lifelong friendship with Harold Ramis, <laughs> or as I knew him, Harry, that was actually started by Ramis as we walked out of the Ziegfeld Theater where the premiere had been held, and Ramis asked me what I thought of the movie. I told him it was pretty good, and he laughed and walked away, at which point my father said to me, do you know who that was, Dave? It was Egon. Despite being a huge Ghostbusters fan at the time, I was also 10 years old and therefore did not realize I had been speaking with the great Egon Spangler. You probably thought Egon was a real person who was busy ghost-busting, yeah. sure. collecting molds and fungi at that yeah. point. Or maybe he thought Egon had like a, like a blonde pompadour like in the cartoon show. Yeah, he might have gotten the cartoon version mixed up. After a bus ride to the New York Stock Exchange, which I mostly remember spending watching a couple in their 20s furiously making out in the seat in front of me. I remember that too. While our parents laughed, I tracked down Ramis again and asked him what other movies he had directed. Predictably, this is where Elliot's story runs off the rails. <laughs> what? The movie in question yep. that Ramis told me he directed was not Stuart Saves His Family, which despite being awful, actually got two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert, but rather It's Pat, which considering it's reported to best gross of $60,822 <laughs> in fact a bomb. Also, yeah, because my... Stuart Saves His Family was a huge hit. <laughs> that Those two thumbs up really made it, it really wrote it. It was the number three movie sure. that year. It was the any which way we can <laughs> of the year of release. Also, my response was not that bomb, but actually, oh, that was a bomb. I actually don't remember Ramus Mock choking me, I but I believe it happened. Well. Fun side note, since I haven't mentioned sports yet. How old, how old was your brother at this point? Like 10. No, he doesn't fucking remember. He was a, he was a kid. Yeah, exactly. Kids are stupid. Uh, fun side note, since I haven't mentioned sports Is yet. Is it going to be something about a sporting event around that time, and that's why he remembers it Our so family well. visited Dad's college roommate in California <laughs> in 1992. <laughs> yeah, this is how my brother remembers every date, is because what sports thing was going on at the time. I remember because the Rams were in the AFC Championship. <laughs> and while we were left at his house to play with his kids, he and our father went to a Los Angeles Kings game and sat in season tickets uh, that belonged to none other than James Cameron. Lastly, Stuart, in person, I'm actually quite charming now that I'm not 10 years old anymore. Thanks for putting up with me, Dan and Stuart, because I'm Elliot's brother. He pretty much has to love David, Elliot's brother. You know, brothers mm. kill each other all the time. Cain <clears throat> killed Abel. I don't have yeah. to put up with him. So, um... Yeah, that was Thanks great. Thanks for writing in and regaling us with that adventure story, Dave. Yep. I think you'll Thanks find... Thanks for giving me an excuse to check my phone during the podcast. <laughs> my version, I think, was slightly less accurate, but much shorter. <laughs> it's called storytelling. has got punch... It's got some Hawaiian punch behind it. Yeah, because that's what I drink when I'm recording. <laughs> so now that we're done digging through our sack of letters. Yep, the letter satchel. Close up those letters in the letter jail. Get back in your cells. I'm Dan the Warden. Get back in your cells, letter jail. Don't make me turn on the hoses. No, no, we're letters. We can't take water. We'll just get all moldy and gross, then it'll be easier to tear us because really we're wet. really singing at this point. <laughs> 
get back in there. Get back in. Starts hitting, and he has a Abby. riding crop, and he starts hitting it against the bars. Sure. You can sympathize with those letters if you want to, but I know what they did. <laughs> those animals deserve everything they got. They're still human being letters, Dan. They have constitutional letter rights. <laughs> Uh, Stuart, do you have a recommendation of is a this, movie? Well, is this what the I recommend segment? is the recommendation <laughs> segment. This is a new, se- this is a new, new segment. segment. <laughs> this is a new segment we've done every episode. Where we recommend the that Dan, fucking time, that, I guess. Where we recommend that Dan properly introduce the fucking segment. <laughs> instead of just going into it without saying what it is. This is the last segment. Have another Saratoga lager, Dan. Of the podcast. <laughs> Well, we recommend movies that we actually liked. Okay, work. so as opposed to the movie we just watched. Which we did not like. <clears throat> so I'm going to recommend... More like any which way you can't, am I right? You've been saving that up the whole podcast? Yeah, I was hoping it would be closer, the end? No. but I couldn't hold it in. No. Uh, so I'm going to recommend a movie that is currently streaming on cable demand or Called whatever. A River Runs Through It. Literally streaming. Uh <laughs> <laughs> or if you're living in L.A. or New York, you can see it in the theater. It's a movie called Blue Ruin, uh, a movie directed by the director that, uh, of a movie that I recommended a long time ago called Murder Party. Uh, it's Blue Ruin is a little revenge story about a homeless guy who finds out that the killer of his parents is released from prison and he decides to take revenge. And it's, uh, I would say, deliberately paced. Uh, It's patient. It's shot beautifully. There is not a ton of dialogue. Um, And it's just an interesting little revenge story that really kind of sets, uh, it really takes its time and kind of makes you very aware of where all the action's taking place. And uh, yeah, it's really great. And it's already been loved by a lot of critics so you've probably heard about it but you should check it out what's it called blue valentine blue ruin mm-hmm. um i'd like to recommend a movie uh called i saw the devil uh watched a little while back it's a korean uh where do you re- see the revenge devil? thriller you can see it on uh, netflix it's about a uh cop kind of a super cop type who so Jackie Chan has his wife? <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's more of a police squad. Uh, he's more of a RoboCop. This cop has his wife killed by a serial killer and um, tracks the serial killer down. And instead of uh, immediately uh, dragging him in to face justice, he kind of engages him in a horrible cat and mouse game. Uh, it's called Mousetrap. Trying to make him feel <laughs> that is a horrible, game. <laughs> a terrible game. Never works right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wants him to make him feel the same misery that he felt, which predictably backfires on him. We, uh, you know, it allows the serial killer to sort of turn the tables on him. And uh, of the Korean movies about revenge, and there have been many, it's not necessarily the deepest, but it is one of the most gruesome. So not uh, the deepest, but perhaps the creepest. Yeah. <laughs> But this is the guy who directed The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, which yeah. I think you recommended. I recommended point. that a while ago, okay. I think. So, uh, yeah. This is a I much less fun movie than that, but it's still a pretty good movie. It's pretty fun. It's pretty, well, it's, it's, it's <laughs> creepy, gross fun. What about when he slashes fun. that guy's Achilles tendon? That's hilarious. Yeah, well, I don't know about hilarious. <laughs> 
That's my is, recommendation. Is it my turn? Yeah, it's your turn. This is the part of the podcast where Elliot gets to recommend a movie. It's called Recca-Kalendations. Recca-Kalendations. <laughs> uh, stop trying to brand it's called your subsection Dan, of this segment. Dan, this is the future. We're all mini-entrepreneurs, and it's about branding. i got to build my brand. Okay. So anyway, welcome to Kalen's Corner. Oh, boy. Well, a lot of slow moving down here at Kalen's <laughs> Corner. Life goes slow as by to a crawl. Clop, 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 Foley clop, effects. Clop, Foley clop, effects. Clop, clop, clop. <laughs> That's my horse and my Foley effect guy. <laughs> Here down at Kalen's Corner, we just sit and whittle and talk about movies. <laughs> this time, I'd like to talk about a little movie I saw recently. Take it away, grandson Kalen. Thanks, grandpappy. I think, I think... <laughs> I'm just going to last joke in farewell. While you... Okay, yeah, I don't know why Is that's grandpappy the... Kalen flying <laughs> off to heaven? <laughs> I don't know what that, that music was for. I mean, he did wink and there was a sparkle that came out of it, implying sure. that maybe he was a ghost the whole time. Yeah, the, or perhaps a, a Mr. Miracle type or a Mr. Destiny type person. The gates of the heavenly house open for him. Yeah, is he, Destiny turns on the radio type figure. <laughs> he wanders in between the cornfield. <laughs> Destiny, turn off that radio. <laughs> this is my favorite song. Sure. Destiny's Child. Oh, I have a headache. Anyway, the movie I saw. This is a movie I've been wanting to see for a number of years, and I just... For whatever reason, never got around to do it, and Street I finally talk. did. <laughs> it's called. It's called. <laughs> How can Dolly Parton and James Woods be romantic leads? What a mismatched pair! But it works. It works. <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a Samuel Fuller movie that maybe you guys have seen. Right. I know called Shock Corridor, mm-hmm. uh, about a reporter who is trying to solve a murder in a mental asylum, and to do so, he's got to convince them he's crazy so he can get put in this mental asylum. So he forces his girlfriend to pretend that she is his sister and that he has sexual feelings for her so that they'll lock him up. And there, there are three witnesses to the murder, each with a different psychosis, and he's got to get through their psychoses to get to the truth before he goes insane himself. And uh, the insanities of the different inmates are used to make different, you know, social political points. It's almost like a couple of different Twilight Zones were smashed together inside this mental hospital. But it's a very, at times, weird... Uh, exploitation-y type movie, but never goes too far in that direction. It's a Samuel Fuller movie. So it's high quality, but it rides the edge of being like a crazy B movie. And I want to highlight in particular the performance of Larry Tucker, uh, who is better known as a screenwriter uh, and a producer, but plays the character a uh, fat opera singing character named Pagliacci. And his acting in it is so natural that it feels like we, it feels like so, a little bit like the movies you'd see with Marlon Brando where everyone else is acting and he's just kind of being. And Larry Tucker manages in a lot of the scenes to accomplish that where he just seems like this guy who lives in this mental institution and it comes off as very natural. Uh, but otherwise, it's a fun, tight little thriller movie that's very weird at times. And uh, I recommend it. Shock Corridor. Well, guys... Thanks for uh, sharing the weirdness of Clint Eastwood and Orangutan with There's me. There's no two guys I'd rather see Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke have a threesome with an Orangutan with than <laughs> you two. This is the end of our pod crawl? Yeah, if you uh, missed the first part, again, check out We Hate Movies and their, uh, their uh, exhaustive uh, exploration of every which way but loose. And why not just check out We Hate Movies in general? Yeah, man. Why not? Well, we're we, not we're not jealous. I we, mean, what? you know, of we, what? Of you know, of listeners cheating on us with a bad movie. No, podcast. no, we're open. No, to that. we get kind of into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's like I we sit like in a watching chair. it. 
Yeah, D- Stuart sits in a chair and Dan watches sits them on the arm of that chair, listening uh-huh. to We Hate Movies, clinking yeah. his gla- the ice in his glass. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those scenes where you're sitting in a chair watching because you want to see it, but then when it gets too intimate, you like, like you flinch or you pull back. But mm-hmm. that's when you feel mm-hmm. the most pleasure. That's why well. I wear a domino me mask alive. so I can shift the domino mask and, and cover someone up my ends eyes. up strangled to death with a tie. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. awful. It's a web of mystery and deceit. Yeah. But until all and the seduction. house cards uh, falls apart, it's very sexy. A game of seductive cat and mouse. Yeah. <laughs> In which a cat has sex with a mouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's, called Tom, it's called Not, a, to, not Tom and Jerry, an XXX parody. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> To this nonsense uh, for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. I've been ashamed, but I'm also Elliot Kalen. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Into it. You're a sexy nurse. I'm Stuart. a sexy nurse. And, uh, I'm a nurse. Do you need? Do you need some uh, You're a nurse sex? That's a little naughty. <laughs> Your doctor prescribed <laughs> sex for you. This Seems is, unlikely. This is the most straightforward doctor's adventures <laughs> episode of from Brazzers I've ever seen. <laughs> I am here for the sex doctor. That's me. Let's do it. I guess. <laughs> I prescribed ten cc's of sex. All right, that's not a lot. Right? Pump the... <laughs> Was that like a second? Yeah. <laughs> Well, they're getting treatment for sex addiction. So. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to wean them yeah, off using sexadone. Yeah. Don't say wean around a sex addict. They totally think they love that band. Yep.